If you have your bulletins, page 6 has our scripture reading this morning from Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Roland Allen was a Anglican Christian missionary to China at the end of the 19th, at the beginning of the 20th century. And he is an incredible observer of mission strategy and what's happening. And he wrote a series of books uh, in the early part of the 20th century that are very interesting, very insightful. And one of the things he noticed, he actually noticed two main things about the effort of the Western church to expand into Asia. And one of his first observations was, we are spending an enormous amount of money and manpower and effort to get the church going in a radically different culture than where we came from. The other thing he noticed was that effort was not going very well at all. The efforts were failing. The church was minuscule. It was very weak. It wasn't expanding. And in his book, The Spontaneous Expansion of the Church and the Causes Which Hinder It, one of my favorite titles ever, he begins to unpack what are the hindrances to the spontaneous expansion of the church. Because he's reading the New Testament, and he's saying, what's happening in the New Testament is not what is happening in China at the moment. There's not this spontaneous growth. There's not this excitement. There's not this missional zeal that overcomes obstacles. We, we don't see the spirit at work in ways that we desire, that we see from the pages of Scripture. What is wrong? And he begins to unpack those systematically one by one. But behind all of those oppositions, those things that he sees that are hindrances to the advancement of the gospel, he says this. He says, the fact is that Westerners love control more than we love the Spirit. We want a little breath of the Spirit to keep our programs running, but we do not want a mighty rushing wind. He says, just as an engineer laying out the course of a river is glad for some water to fill his channels, but he does not want a flood which may sweep away his embankments. Such missionaries pray for the wind of the Spirit, but not for a mighty rushing wind. I am writing because I believe in a mighty rushing wind and a desire its presence at all costs. Spontaneous expansion could fill the continents with the knowledge of Christ. Our control cannot reach as far as that. Our control can only appeal pitifully for more people to maintain control. Roland Allen, looking at the church in that age, was cognizant of the main obstacle, which is an obstacle you and I feel and know tremendously ourselves. This idea of control. What does it mean to control versus what does it mean to be 
swept up in the movement of the Spirit in order to be drawn and led in mission. Today in the passage that we just read that Jason led us in, we see a blueprint. We see a model. We see somebody going behind sort of the curtain and showing us how a spontaneous expansion of the church would actually work. How is it possible? What does it look like? How do we move into that place of being part of the Spirit's movement and yet at the same time not trying to control that Spirit movement? What it looks like. And it's a powerful, it's a beautiful, it's a very simple understanding of the church that I think has tremendous impact for us and for what we are seeking to do as a body of believers here in Dallas in this weird age of Corona. It gives us a way forward and it gives us deep encouragement. So we're simply going to look today at what this passage says and sort of what does each of these things that Jesus describes in his sending of his apostles, what does that mean in and of itself? But then we're going to draw back and then ask, how does that translate into our current situation? How do we look at these principles as guiding lights for us today to move forward into our upcoming ministry year in front of us? Okay, so first of all, in this passage, uh, it's very clear, like this is one of those passages of scripture, super easy to preach because there's lots of verbs that tell you exactly how to outline the passage. First of all, Jesus calls. He calls his disciples together in verse 1. The 12, he kind of regathers. Uh, we get a sense here that Jesus' disciples that we've encountered before sometimes go off and do things. They go back to their hometowns. They have responsibilities. And then they join back up with Jesus. And so there's kind of an always in and out aspect, which gives insight to why sometimes we see multiple Jesus doing things multiple times in different gospels because some guys missed it. And so he does it again to remind them, and they all have sort of a basis of understanding of what these things mean. So, but this time he's gathered them all together. He's recommissioned them to come together for a special purpose. This gathering is something we've been seeing up to this point in Luke, right? He's been gathering people to his feet, to his teaching, so that they become his disciples. And in that place of discipleship is the place of transformation. We've seen it in the boat, in the storm. We've seen it in the healings. That these people come to Jesus' feet and he both touches and he speaks to them. And that is the transformative aspect where they're reignited. And so he's gathering his 12, his band together, and he's reminding them, come to me. This is the place where everything starts. And here in this passage, um, what does he give them when he gathers them? He gives them power and authority to drive out evil spirits and to cure diseases. He gives them power and authority. This isn't new power and authority. This is a transfer of his own power and authority. It is a giving to them, not something they possess themselves, but and loan from him to them. The disciples do not have, the church does not have power indigenous to itself. 
All of the church's power, all of the disciples' power is borrowed, is alien power from Jesus to them. They are not kings and authorities themselves. They are ambassadors of a different power source. And in this giving them and granting them power, one of the things we see is that our power is derivative. The church's power is derivative. It's not original. The church doesn't have its own power source that we go to to accomplish our aims and our ambitions. In fact, all of us could tell stories of how the church, in your experience, got into trouble when it tried to do the work of ministry in its own power. We could also all tell stories of our own lives where we tried to do things in our own power and it didn't go so well. Those relationships weren't healed. Those problems weren't overcome. That evil was not taken care of. Why? Because we did it in our own strength. Here we're being reminded that the church, especially a church that's going to be sent in missional power, is a church who understands its power comes from Jesus alone. The other thing here about the giving of power, it's not giving of power for their own enjoyment, their own wielding, for their own self-aggrandizement. The power is given for a purpose. And that purpose is outward, to drive out evil spirits, to cure diseases. The power is on loan from Jesus to use for others. Power is for the purpose of moving the church in an outward effort to show others who Jesus is. And so our power is not to be used for self. It's to be used in mission outward. Then not only does Jesus give them this power, he sends them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Those two things are always tied together, proclamation and healing. We've seen this in Jesus' own ministry up to this point. What has Jesus been doing? He's been speaking and preaching and teaching about the kingdom of God. And it has also been healing. The healing validates the teaching. The teaching explains the healing. They work together as a piece. Because the kingdom of God is not just an idea that floats like a cloud in the sky, hovering above the earth and never touching it. The kingdom of God that Jesus is giving his people power to accomplish actually invades the everyday experience of normal human beings. It has feet to it. It has legs to it. It begins to transform and to change the shape of our lives. It's not just an idea. It becomes molded and brought into a practice that becomes habits and that shape our lives and changes us. The kingdom of God is an idea, but it's not an ideal that never translates into action. Word and deed are always united. And the church that begins a movement of spiritual expansion is a church that understands the welding together of word and deed. 
We don't just tell people, go be warm and well-fed. May God bless you. We tell them that, and then we walk with them to find food. We provide, we go to, we help. Both those things are built together in this kingdom that God is bringing about. Then also Christ instructs. He gives particular and some bit peculiar instructions about how to carry out this mission, how to move forward out into the world. He's given his disciples instructions on how to operate, how to behave, the attitudes they need to take as they move forward in mission. And he says, first of all, take nothing for the journey. Take nothing for the journey. Here we see an echo of Exodus that God tells his people in Exodus, uh, eat the Passover meal in readiness to walk out the door tomorrow morning. Don't spend your evening trying to prep and plan. Be ready to go. Because I am going to provide for you. God is your source of strength and power, not your preparation, not your plans, not your effort, not your control. Here, by Jesus instructing his people to take nothing for a journey, is his encouragement for us to take an attitude that God will provide. God will provide. That when we move in his power, when we move under his instructions to go in word and deed, when we move towards the world expecting him to provide, we need to move in a way that we expect him to operate and to respond. And here in the next thing, he says, expect hospitality to happen. When you enter a village and somebody gives you hospitality, when they're willing to like take you in for the night, feed you so that you can do ministry in that town, don't hop around to a better option when it comes up down the road. Stay put. Why is he telling him this? He's telling him for a lot of reasons. But one is that I have prepared before you even went the people who are ready for your message. And when you find receptivity, when you find people welcoming you into their lives, when you find people ready for the gospel, don't prejudge who they are. Simply stay with them. Follow that line because I have pre-planned this encounter. When we planted a church in Salt Lake City, we planted it with no money. You're like, what? In the PCA, you planted a church with no money? Yes, we just took one of our staff members, our assistant pastor, Mark Peach, and I told Mark, Mark, find a place where there are people of peace, where people are ready for the gospel. So he tried a couple of different coffee shops. He started hanging out at one, this one called No Brow. <laughs> Not Low Brow, No Brow was the name of the coffee shop. But No Brow welcomed Mark. These were not Christian people. These were people that were very uh, on the surface, not ready for the gospel. But the owner of that coffee shop welcomed Mark just like this. He spoke for Mark to people in the shop that were asking why was a minister hanging out at the shop. He laid the groundwork for Mark to be able to form a core group out of people that frequented this coffee shop. Why? Because Mark was simply following what is said we can expect. When we move out to the world, there will be people ready for the gospel that we did not expect who will welcome us 
when we go towards them in faith. And then he gives this interesting instruction as well as what happens when you're rejected? What happens when you go to a town and there's nobody that welcomes you in? How do you operate? It's kind of a funny thing, this knocking off the soles of your shoes in order to bear witness to them as you move on. It's really an example when you knock your shoes off, you're about to enter into a house, right? You, you knock your shoes off to get the mud off before you go in. Here, Jesus is saying, do the opposite. When they don't receive you, knock your shoes off before you leave. It's kind of a funny habit or a funny ritual to remind both you and them that they missed out on something. It's not a judgment. I mean, there's other parts of Scripture where the disciples come to Jesus and say, can't we call down fire from heaven and burn the village up? And Jesus is like, no, come on, guys. It's not like that. What it is is a reminder that, unfortunately, these people missed out on something so amazing. And your job is to remind yourself in this little ritual of knocking out your shoes that this is sad. This is sad that these people came so close and yet rejected what was so dear. And then, surprise of all surprise in the Gospel of Luke, the disciples obey. They actually do everything perfectly in this passage. In Luke, here in chapter 9, the disciples, for a brief moment, actually do it. They follow Jesus' commands. They do exactly what he tells them. And there's this village-to-village explosion of the good news. All the other gospel writers talk about this event themselves, and Luke is a little restrained, but the others are not restrained in their description of the joy that flows out from this. The disciples are overwhelmed that it actually worked. They're excited that they've seen people come into the kingdom. They're humbled by the fact that through their own words, through their own actions, the work they had seen Jesus accomplishing is actually going forward through them. And they're in awe, just like we saw in the boat, just like we saw in all the healings. They're in awe. So how do we translate this blueprint to our context? How do we keep, take it out of the pages of Luke and translate it into operating principles for us today in our congregation? Well, I think it's partly important to recognize that in this passage, very clearly, is a rhythm. There is a flow of how things operate, both in miniature and in large overview. What is happening is a movement towards Jesus, and then as a result of that movement towards Jesus, there is a sending from him by Jesus out to the world. There is both a returning to Jesus rhythm, and then there is a sending from Jesus rhythm. This flow towards him, from him, towards him, from him, is happening here in the gospel, here in this story. This is the first time that Jesus' followers are not just observers. They're not just present. They actually become co-laborers with Jesus through his power transferred to them, through them following his instructions, 
through him, them trusting his methodology. That as they go to him, he equips them, he sends them into the world, and then they return back to him. This flow of from him to him, to him from him, is the way that all Christian practice always works. And it's the rhythm that has to sustain everything we do. As a congregation, um, you've already said this on the front of your bulletin, our bulletin. Sorry, you're not just you. It's us now. Six months in, it's us. So um, mercy to us, mercy through us. That's the rhythm. We receive, we go to the feet of Jesus. As Jason prayed in word and prayer, we soak up the mercy that he so richly gives us. We receive his forgiveness. We receive his touch. We receive his instruction. We receive his power. We receive his heart. And then through us, he sends us into the world as his agents of grace, as his ambassadors of a new kingdom of love. That we are drawn to Jesus and then we are sent from him and his power to the world. That is the rhythm that has to undergird everything we do. And as we do that weekly, as we come to Jesus in worship, it's not just an activity. It's not just something we're checking off of our to-do list. We're coming to worship for the purpose of coming to the feet of Jesus, to hear his word to us to be encouraged through prayer of his affection and care of us. We're coming to him. And then in worship, we're being sent forward as his agents of grace into the world. Do you hear how our service always ends with a benediction? I raise my hand because it's not my hand, but my hand operating on behalf of Jesus to send us, his people, out with his blessing into this world where we work, where we live, where we enact, where we embody what we say we believe. We come in, we go out. Our own spiritual lives have to have this same rhythm themselves. We have to daily intake his word. That's why we started last week this idea of reading God's word daily together, five minutes a day, five days a week, through the five major sections of the entirety of God's word. We're daily going to the word to soak it in, to hear not just our favorite parts of scripture, but the whole counsel of God's word from start to finish, because we need the entirety of it, all of its nutrients, to soak into us, to come into our lives, to feed us. Every day we come to his word and then we also move forward in his power. Whether you're praying, you know, just two minutes as you're in the car headed to work, two minutes while you're in the shower before the kids are banging down the door, whatever it is, that time of prayer is the time where you're opening your hands to receive the power you need to go as his agents of grace into the place you're called to be. To Jesus, receive his power, 
and then walking in his purpose towards that place that we are called to be. Inhale, exhale, towards Jesus, in his power, towards the world. That is a powerful rhythm. It's a powerful heartbeat that helps us as a church to have a steady power to move forward into any circumstance. Now, I know some of us are suspicious of the church. Some of us have been burned by experiences where the church has been less than her true self, where she has taken control and left you bereft, where her desires for worldly status have taken and stolen from you where we have failed to do ministry in the way that Jesus has described for us and has left you with a bitter taste in your mouth. I'm not trying to defend the church's failures. She has, we have, we all know failed. But what I'm trying to do is to lift all of our eyes people in the church, people outside of the church, people committed to leadership in the church, people just showing up for the first time. We all need a vision of what is the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is to move towards Jesus, to be filled by him with power, to go into the world as his agents of grace and kindness as the presence of an alternative existence that our world desperately needs to know. Roland Allen, in writing about this, says this about this experience. He says, this is what I mean then by spontaneous expansion. I mean the expansion which follows the unexhorted and unorganized activity of individual members of the church explaining to others the gospel which they have found for themselves. I mean the expansion which follows the irresistible attraction of the Christian church for people who see its ordered life and are drawn to it by desire to discover the secret of a life which they instinctively desire to share. When the church speaks from their hearts because they are too eager to be able to refrain from speaking, when their subject, Jesus, has gripped them, they speak of what they know and know by experience. The truth which they impart is their own truth. They know its force. This their hearer realizes, and inevitably they too are moved by it. The church that moves forward, having once moved towards Jesus, has a power because we're not just talking in the abstract. We're talking about our own experience. The healing is not just a healing of a story in the book of Luke chapter eight. The healing is a healing we experienced where Jesus moved towards us. He spoke to us. He touched and healed us. When we move towards him, and then we are equipped and sent by him into this world, we have power. Because it's a power we don't generate from ourselves. It's a power we've borrowed from his hand to give witness, to give voice, 
to what we ourselves have seen and tasted and touched and heard and know. And that is the power that our world is in need of. Not secondary, but original. This is the glory of the church. This is the beauty that we get to engage in. Not budgets, not organizing, not calendars, as much as I love all of those things. The glory of the church is in meeting Jesus. He is really here. He is not away. He is present. He is as available to us right now as he was to those 12 then. He is as eager to heal our infirmities now as he was eager to heal their infirmities then. He is as eager to equip you, his people, to go in his power, to proclaim in his method, to change your attitudes towards others as he was to these 12 men who followed him 2,000 years ago. That is the glory. That is the joy. That is the mission that we get to embrace. The hows, the budgeting, the calendaring, the organization of that flow out of this power. That Jesus loves you. He has called you to be his people. And as his people, he is filling you with his authority and power to go as his agents of grace into this world. Please join me, join us as we work out what that means this year. It is the grand adventure. It is what you were built to be a part of. It is what you were looking for in all the other endeavors of your life. And here, it is given to all of us free. Let's pray. Jesus, show us the way. Show us the way to your feet every day. Fill us through your word and prayer so that we can become your agents of grace in the callings that we possess. In our work, as we go to it, in our relationships as we take them up, empower us to operate differently because we've been at your feet. We've heard your words. We've known your touch. Empower us, Lord, to be your people in this world so in need of grace. Empower us to show mercy where it would have seemed otherwise impossible. Fill us with your spirit. Guide us with your power. And all for your glory. Amen.